Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This could go in the first round. They took two tight ends this year in the third round. And I also want to clarify something because I wrote it on our website today. I'm going to punch in the face the next person that tries to compare uh, Asi Asi and Keen to Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. There has never been a more jackassish comparison in the history of football. Those guys were first-round effing talents who dropped because of a back injury and everything else with Aaron Hernandez off the field. And, you know, one was a Mackey Award winner. They could have both gone in the first round very easily. They had every opportunity to be great pros. You have a couple mid-round talents in this year's class who it's a bad draft class at tight end. Uh, OCSC had one productive year at UCLA. Keen has never had a productive year in his life and is probably never had more than 90 yards receiving in a single game. He, he's probably a fullback, to be yes. honest, or closer to fullback than he is to Aaron Hernandez or Rob Gronkowski. So let's, and then what I put um, on WEI.com, the comparison is Arthur Love and Jabari Holloway when the Patriots had no tight ends back in 2001 and drafted those guys in the middle rounds, and it didn't work. Like, they were nobodies who moved on quickly. That's why we needed Jermaine Wiggins to come in and play uh, in 2001 and all that. But so they drafted tight ends in the sandwich year between two good tight end drafts. I find that very interesting when they needed them. So I have no problem with them drafting a tight end. You know, that's they had to. They absolutely had to. But do you draft two in the third round and trade up for one of them, especially when they're not even tight end, so to speak? You trade up for Dalton McKean, who's like you said, he's more of a fullback. Like, I think Keen would have been the perfect Patriot at a different time. He screams versatile, hardworking, hard-nosed. Like, if you had put him 0304, some of those teams, or even, you know, two or three years ago, where Gronk's out there and they still have Edelman making play and all that. But you bring him in as maybe trying to make him the answer to all your woes, part of the answer to all your woes at the tight end position. I just don't think it's fair to him. I think he's being miscast as, you know, a premium pick, as Crapsheet would say. And even Asiasi, he only started one year in his college career, transferred over from Michigan, and he didn't, I don't, he didn't really put up with great, great numbers. And I, no. I just, he's not. But- He's not I a think, receiving threat. I'm not saying – but, again, I think maybe this is your next point. We can't look at these guys to be the next Gronk. Nope. But, but they're not even half of that. And, right, no. And, and I think Asi Asi, which I continue to joke is so-so in Spanish, um, which what he could be in the NFL, yeah. a so-so tight end. Like, I just I, – I don't I, – he has more upside. And I, you're right. His upside – 
if he reaches his upside, he might be a good, productive NFL tight end. You don't have to be great. Right. You know, there's at any given time, there's like two to three great tight ends in the NFL. That's just the reality. Like you have Gronk, you have Kelsey, you have Kittle. You, like there's never or very rare. It's not like receiver where every team needs and has a one number one receiver. That's not how tight end is in the NFL. There's not enough of them to go around. So if he is better, well, he should be better, hopefully, than anything they had last year. That'll be a boost to the to the offense and give somebody for um, Stidham to throw to and sort of open open up some opportunities. But I, my question is just, it gets back to the same thing, grand master plan. Like the whole master plan of trades and picks and positions, they targeted needs. Because I know some people think safety isn't a need. It was, you know, I kept calling it a sneaky need, a year too early need. But that's also assuming that Chung can stay healthy, that Chung is on, you know, I don't know that that's a guarantee. And nope. I don't know enough personally, because I think right now the third safety is Adrian Phillips, the guy they oh, signed. From yes. Yeah. I don't know enough about him to say whether I'm, you know, like. But I think I, he's more of the Duggar type, sort of an athlete that can move around, do a bunch of different things. Right. But I think he's better, or I hope he's better than Terrence Brooks. So where does he fit in that hierarchy? He's better than Terrence Brooks, but not nearly as good as Chung, if he had, whatever. So we'll see that. Um, I just, I do, I, I continue to get mixed. Me- Actually, it's not a mixed message. This is at best a bridge year and at worst a rebuild year. I think that's just the reality. I'm sorry. You didn't sign any impact free agents. You didn't draft any impact players. Like, this is a rebuild. You're going with the young quarterback to see what happens because next year you're going to have $100 million in cap space to do what you need to do. You're going to have potentially a high draft pick or a higher draft pick if you don't make the playoffs. I think this is a rebuild year, and we'll see how long the rebuild takes. But in a rebuild in Bill Belichick's eyes isn't going 4-12. and 12. Yeah, but he doesn't get to decide that. The well, opposition does. So you really think that they're like a 4-12 and 12 team right now? Okay, so when I wrote about the receiver position, because it's another position they didn't draft that everybody thought they would probably draft, right? It was the historic class. They had the most guys ever taken. Right, historic draft class. And I know you took one a year ago, so you're probably not going to take one in the first round. No, but there are some opportunities, yeah. Right. If you can take three interior offensive linemen, you can find a way to take a wide receiver somewhere. They chose not to. Now they've added some undrafted rookie free agents, maybe those – you know, the build had the humble brag after the draft where he said, we usually get some production out of that class. Um, maybe it'll be a receiver again. You know, Jacoby Myers or Gunner, those types of guys. But um, what was I saying? Confused myself. Four and there. 12. Oh, yeah. He doesn't – well, he doesn't get to decide how good they are. He only gets to decide how they play the games. And I'm sure they'll play hard, but they have a tough schedule. And when I wrote about the wide receivers, for – it, it surprised me but that they didn't take a receiver. But when I look at it, I'm not like – I don't know. I'm not all hot and bothered because I still think on paper, if everything is sort of the pro side of a guy's resume, they have a pretty good or, or serviceable let's – let's say serviceable wide receiver core. If Julian Edelman is healthy it's good, and he doesn't fall off the map, he's good, right? He's aging. Right. He's good. I would argue that he's right knocking on the door – as a slot receiver, as being as impressive as Tom Brady in terms yeah. of defying age, right? Yes. If he goes out and has a – he's going to be 34, yep. I believe. If he, goes out, if he catches 100 balls at 34 in the slot receiver position, the way he gets the absolute crap kicked out of him, that's really impressive. But let's just say he does that. 
And then let's say Nikhil Harry has a year two jump and looks like a first round wide receiver talent, which is what he is. Right. And then you say Muhammad Sanu gets healthy and he comes back. Well, that's a good starting three receivers. Throw right? Jeffrey Myers in there to make a year two jump. Throw right. one of these uh, free agent guys that they picked up. Marquise Lee, let's say he still stays healthy. Right. That guy's caught 55, 60 passes multiple times in the NFL. The problem is, and it's not, it's the reality. They won't all work out for the positive. Right. There's put, zero chance. But I will say this. In the last couple seasons at the wide receiver spot, everything's worked out in the negative. So maybe they're due for more positive at that spot. Look at you. Look at you. I got my coffee cup right here, and it's half full. Um, sure. But, yeah, my only point is the upside at receiver, and I don't think it's long shot upside. It's just catch a couple breaks upside is decent. Well, and then you can even, I think you can make that same argument at running back. Oh, like, definitely at running back. Like Sony Michelle, first-round pick. Let's just say he becomes what he is supposed to be as a first-round pick. That's a good running back. Damian or Harris. let's say he gets hurt and Damian Harris rushes for 1,000 yards like he did twice at Alabama. That wouldn't right. stun me, right? And you have Rex Burkhead and, and James White, great versatile backs. You know, right. they do their thing. So you're not that far off if things pan out perfectly there from having one of the better running back groups in the NFL. And if the offensive line stays together, if you keep Tooney, then you should have the makings of a pretty good offensive line. If David Andrews is truly healthy and back as your center. Basically your same line that won you a couple of Super Bowls just with Isaiah, Isaiah Wynn at left tackle. Right, and with no um, Dante Skarnacchia coaching them. Yeah, Cole Popovich. Uh, I did see that. Maybe. I mean, we don't know for sure. Yeah. Really. Right. There was also some other guy I've never heard of. Yeah, I, I, I do. JJ or JT or something? Right, right. Got freaking draft picks throwing out initials without a roster. How the F am I supposed to know who that is? Right. Um, so, so, but you're, but you're, so you're going with none of this stuff's going to work out? No, but um, I think there's a good chance that uh, a good chunk of it doesn't. I think that's how I would say. So you don't think that they're going to, like right now, whatever the date is, April 27th, you don't think the New England Patriots in 2020 are a playoff team? I do not. I do. I, do. I don't think that they're the favorites in the AFC, but I just think that with the expanded playoffs, they're a wild card team. They have the AFC. That expanded playoffs could screw me. I could see them sneaking in as a seven seat. But, but that's what I think they are. Like they're a team that can compete all year for the playoffs, probably sneak in. And, but that's not what you want, though. Right. But my question is, so you have a quarterback who's thrown four passes, correct? Yep. How many NFL touchdowns has he thrown? Uh, he's thrown more pick sixes than touchdowns. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, you have a wide receiver. I'm gonna, as much as I just said it, I would bet against Julian Edelman being great this year. I would bet that Julian Edelman has a down year. My guess is he gets injured. My guess is that he lost his quarterback. We're like, we need to remember Tom Brady and Julian Edelman are a package deal. Like they work, you know, they work symbiotically together. I don't just assume that that's going to come to fruition with um, uh, Stidham right away. So my guess is there's a down year for Edelman. You already know I don't think that Nikhil Harry is going to be a true number one receiver worth the pick. We've heard rumblings that Sanu might not be ready to start camp, start the year, coming off health. So already, I, we just talked about how those three could be a decent to good starting three. They could also stink and not be on the field. Maybe only one of them's on. Maybe Nikhil Harry's on the field with freaking 
Gunner Marquise and Lee and, or Gunner and Jacoby Myers. And then, eh, good luck, Stid. Run yourself out there. Like, so I, I don't. I don't think right now I would pick them as a playoff team. Um, I just and there's questions on defense too. I, I think say, they could get go, old. Let's go to defense. Yeah, they could get old on defense. If if Chung falls off, we already said okay, who's the safety there? Can Duggar be ready to play? Probably not. Uh, Adrian Phillips is he good enough? We'll see. I don't know enough about him as a defensive player. I know people keep saying he's a Pro Bowler and All Pro. That's as a special teamer. We'll see what he is defensively. Um, the the edge guys that they lost or linebacker edge guys, Jamie Collins, Kyle Van Oy. Just think of how important those guys were to this defense last year. And then, you know my theory, that Stephon Gilmore I still think is really good, but it's hard to maintain that truly elite-level play at corner for very long, be a defensive player of the year, have pick sixes and all that. So I, I think there's going to be a step back on defense. I think the defensive line is a little bit of a weak spot um, that could be exposed. Now, we've we got Uche and you got um, Jennings. They, they sort of seem like a combo draft pick, like they're a platoon. Yeah, they're kind of the same player in in a way. Well, the same but different. They're both outside linebackers, but Jennings makes his money as sort of an edge-setting, long-arm, run defender, so to speak, and, you know, work in progress in the passing game. And then Uche is a sub-rusher who's good there, but mm, against the run and, you know, has a work-in-progress nature there. And it's it's sort of hard to platoon. I don't know how you're going to rotate those guys through if that is the plan. Um, because you don't know what the offense is doing. You don't know what the situation is and all that. So, yeah, defensively, I have doubts. I mean, if you, who's going to have the biggest impact in this draft class for the Patriots? That's a good question. I think the answer is a simple one and a lame one. What am I missing? Oh, the kicker? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. got a kick, right? Well, draft- I don't know if he's actually going to be their week one kicker. You think they're going to cut him because he's got a racist tattoo? No, I think that they could. I also don't know if it's a racist tattoo, by the way. No, but I think that they're probably likely to bring in a veteran, don't you? They're not going to just go with one rookie fifth-round kicker out of Marshall as the guy in training camp. They did. Well, in training camp. They also couldn't just bring in a guy that's still on the streets come week one. I, yeah, I just – I mean, I they did it with Gustowski, a rookie fifth-round kicker out of Memphis. Yeah, but he probably proved himself. I wasn't around then, but he probably proved himself that training camp. Right, and so will Roar. What is it, Roarwasser? I don't even want to try. Well, you're going to have to at some point. <laughs> it's well, kind of our job. It's the Monday after the draft begin. I'm not going to be talking to him or seeing him for a couple months. I'll, I'll work. Um, okay, I, so I, I don't think he's a lock to be the kicker week one. Uh, it would stun me if he's not the kicker week one, actually. But, like, um, what would it cost him? Why couldn't you bring in Nick Folk? Oh, you could, right. but I think you're admitting you effed up. I mean, that's you didn't take him in the second round like Aguayo with Tampa. That's what it means—a fifth-round pick. Those picks, excuse me, high. What? That's high for a kicker. But he was the first kicker taken, the first specialist taken. Yes. That's what but, Bill does. He takes Zoltan, Mesko, Stephen Gostowski, those guys in the fifth round. He took him in the fifth round. He expects him to be his kicker. He's got a big leg. Yeah, he expects him to. But I'm just saying that it's not—he he can cut bait with them, and it's not really a big cost. Well, I mean, the guy just cut bait with Tom Brady. I'm sure he can cut bait with anyone, right? <laughs> But I think the expectation is that he is supposed to be your kicker. But let's get into the um, racist tattoo issues. Um, So he has a tattoo, the three percenters, which, depending on who you ask, I guess, are um, right-wing, anti-government. Yeah, pro-guns. But but that's fine. You can be pro-guns and anti-government without being a racist, right? 
Right. So it's been a bit of a talking point. Um, it's exposed people as it generally does, like Mike Freeman, who, you know, basically says the Patriots drafted a white supremacist based on his tattoo. Right. And then people do a little digging. And when Aaron Hernandez was being talked about in different things, he's talked about you can't judge a player based on tattoos. So if a guy is, I guess, black or Hispanic, ignore his tattoos. They don't mean anything. If a guy's white, he means he's a racist. It's right. Way to expose yourself. Um, I have no idea whether he's a racist or not. I, I, I mean, I think I'd like to believe him at his story that he, he got the tattoo. A, a genuine story on the conference call that he didn't was a teenager, didn't know the meaning behind it. As a family based in the military, it was more of a, a symbol of like support. Right. Found out down the road that it was what it means, and he's gonna cover it up. Now, to me, why didn't you get it covered up before? Why didn't you get it removed? Right. And so we did see at least one tweet from a teammate that said he's a good dude, no yep. problem with him, blah, blah, blah. We'll see how some of those start to come out as, as more time passes. Um, I, I would say, a, a, what's the timing on it? You know, I, did we know that the, there was a URI photo where he didn't have it, but was that photoshopped? Right. Based, I mean, on, based on the photographs that we've seen, assuming there's been no photoshopping involved, he got it at some time at URI. So that's only two to three years ago. Or yes. Ish. So that erases it being a long time ago and he shouldn't have done it. Doesn't it? By the way, you can get a tattoo at 19 years old in college and not have any idea what it means and, and consider it a mistake and, and all that. Like, I also think you could get a tattoo like he may be say he hates the government which is actually a very popular stance with a lot of people right now i would say both black and white hate the government hate the president hate everything um you can hate the government and like guns and that doesn't mean you're a racist that doesn't mean you're a horrible human being it could also be something you thought about in college and got the tattoo and maybe regret now like what about all the old jokes about people that are, you know, bisexual in college? I dabbled in college and then they go on to just be heterosexual or homosexual and figure out who they are later. Are they like, sometimes you try things in college or, or go through some experiences or feelings. I just, this whole, the way we jump so fast to say somebody's a racist or he doesn't deserve a job in the NFL, doesn't deserve to be drafted because he has a tattoo. Like I find that, just so a lot what do they call it the cancel culture like yeah well to it's me so alarming it's also like because marshall tweeted out the picture that's where the the tattoo picture circulated was marshall's tweet congratulating him for the special teams player of the year so clearly marshall didn't have an issue right. with it and i think that's the one the what? one thing i would say is where's marshall right yeah west virginia right <laughs> well but i just think it also comes back to he's a patriot well, this has been a big thing if, oh, he, yeah. if he was drafted by the uh, Detroit Lions. Nope. Jamel Hill and Mike Freeman would be looking at this totally differently. No question. No question at all. Um, and I also, the, the sub layer is, what did the, like, did the Patriots see the tattoo? I got to think they did. Did they research it at all? I don't know. That, that would be my answer. I have no idea. My guess is they've looked into it because they really try as an organization to turn over every rock. Um, I think the Patriots had an idea. They had an explanation from what uh, we gathered talking to people before the conference call. Uh, the Patriots were aware of it and were aware of the explanation. 
Right. Which you can choose to believe or not believe. Who knows? But, I mean, it's certainly, I think because it's also the Patriots, there's a little bit of a connection to the Christian Peter thing where he ended up getting cut, never played for him. I don't think that's going to happen here um, with Roar Wasser. The other but, question I have with this whole thing is he was the first kicker taken, and he was yeah. listed by some as, like, the 10th kicker available. Why, why did you have to deal with this backlash? Like, how much, how much better is he than Rodrigo Blankenship, who would be a great story from a PR perspective, and instead you have basically the worst story from a PR perspective? Like, what's the difference? Why did you, why did you do that to take this guy? Well, you're taking a very fantasy football approach where all the kickers are the same and you take them at the end of the draft. I think Bill probably thinks this guy's by far the best kicker in the draft. I think he probably, you know, his big leg comment, his, you know, kicking in bad conditions comment. I think he probably, you know, the humble, bra- you know, we watched over 250 kicks of his humble brag. Uh, okay, Bill, you're supposed to, that's your job. Um, I think he likes him. I think he probably thinks he's the best kicker. And if you think he's the best kicker, you believe his story about the tattoo and you don't think he's an out and out racist. You know, this gets back to, I, I mean, how many black players are there on the Marshall team? I haven't done the research, but I'm guessing a lot. Right. Like, I just find it hard to believe this guy is just an outward racist, and we haven't heard more by now already, and, and actually just got through his college career. Like, I would have found it more believable that he was a racist at URI than at Marshall, right. even though Marshall's in West Virginia. I just, there's a lot of issues here that I just, I find the whole thing hard to believe that he's an outright racist and he should be cut and he should never play in the NFL and blah, blah, blah. I don't really believe that to be the truth. And until somebody actually proves that to me, you know me. I had a bigger problem with his first three words as a Patriot where I'm very talented. Didn't care for that on his conference call more than I didn't care for the tattoo. Jesus Christ, be a little bit humble for just a minute. Also, the question about that was about like kickoffs and like- right. Placing kickoffs turned the answer for him placing kickoffs was I'm very talented. <laughs> like what? Where is that a good idea? That bothered me way more than the tattoos. Cause that tells me he's a little bit of a DB. That's what that sounded like to me. Now, again, first chance nervous. Maybe he was only thinking about the answer to the tattoo question. So like he was off his game. Cause I would have been, you know, that question's coming. You've already seen on Twitter and everything. Right. So maybe that threw him off his game and I hope he does better because as a kicker, you don't get talked to a lot, but when you get talked to, it usually matters how you answer because it's, you missed a kick, you made a kick, like it's a high pressure situation, whatever. Um, and I wasn't overly impressed with that first uh, taste of him, but um, we started this whole thing. I do think he's the impact rookie because he's expected to be your kicker. Now it'll be interesting to see if he kicks off or if they just let Bailey continue, Bailey continue to do it, yep. um, which might be a way to, you know, you said having a veteran to ease him into it or whatever. That could also be a way, like, okay, just focus on field goals. We'll get to the kickoffs later. Focus right. on field goals. Do that for this year. PATs and field goals. If you can hit those. I mean, he's got a strong leg, not just a big leg, but a strong leg. Hit long field goals. So I, I think he's your impact rookie because you think about it, the offense isn't going to be a good as good. So you're probably going to have more field goal attempts if Bill's willing to take them. He theoretically has a long leg, so maybe some longer field goal attempts that they didn't take last year when they were going through all their kicking problems. Um, so I, I think that's your impact rookie right there. Your kicker with a questionable tattoo. We haven't discussed the later round picks. Were there any guys picking in the sixth or seventh round that stood out to you as maybe potential impact as like a long shot? They were mostly uh, linemen. 
<laughs> yeah, they're mostly linemen. My guess is one of them is going to be a great story. Uh, the thing that stuck out to me was just how one of them started all 51 games he played. I think that was Heron, I keep calling him, even though the pronunciation guide says Heron. Um, yeah. The kid out of Michigan was like 50-something. Like the, the three combined linemen had started like 140 of 150 games played or something in college. Like these ridiculous experience numbers have yep. some versatility, um, interior offensive linemen. And if Tooney goes, if Tooney goes and there's any doubts about Andrews, then there's some opportunities there on the inside. And who knows whether Froholt coming off of um, IR, if they love him, don't love him, who knows where that goes. Um, Ferenc, Ferenc is a, is a free agent still. Who knows if he's back? Um, he's I'll still out there. <laughs> no one <laughs> else is going to want him. He might start his coaching career, go be a GA somewhere. Um, but I think those guys are interesting as a group. I'm not going to pretend I broke down any of their film and like which one's great. Um, I do find the Wake Forest kid, uh, Heron or Heron, interesting in that he's a tackle a career tackle that everybody says is going to be a guard. Even the Patriots announced him in their little graphic as a guard. Um, but if he has any versatility, um, who's the guy they had out of Iowa that played all of them? Croston, Cole Croston. Yep. 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 Maybe he can be this like super sub where he gives you a chance to play right tackle and guard and back up all of them, you know, maybe center. Maybe, the, you know, maybe that's part of his value and his makeup. He also comes from a very athletic family, which intrigued me as, a, as an offensive lineman. NBA family, his uncle played in the NBA, two, dad, um, two other, his father and another uncle played at Villanova. He played basketball for most of his life. So athletic makeup-wise, if, if you maybe pick one, I'd pick him because of his versatility, his basketball background. I'll take Justin Huron. The uh, Michigan guy, Michael Onwenu, Yes. Not sure if we're saying that right. He has an interesting story, too, where he was 370 pounds when he got to Michigan and then lost 30 pounds. Um, so I think people looked at that as that improved his game overall. They also used it as, as a negative, like he has a weight issue problem. It's something to monitor right. moving forward. But right. he could be a guy that I think could make an impact, too, if he keeps the weight off. And, you know, he played, he played better, obviously, with the weight being down. So maybe he's a, a, a riser that you get more out of than he had in college. And he was one of those freak prospects where he got offers to just about everywhere at like right. eighth grade or something. Cause and, he was and stuck to his verbal commitment at Michigan, which he, right. yes. Yeah. Like Alabama, all those places wanted him, and Iowa state. Yes. I mean, probably a disappointment in terms of his college career to end up probably. going as a late round pick, but um, certainly has the size and the potential to be uh, an intriguing player. And again, if some, you know, if Joe Tooney's not around, there's going to be opportunities for guys. Well, here's, here's my question. If Joe Tooney's gone, who starts at, at left guard? <sighs> Justin Heron. Interesting. I'm just throwing that out there. Could also be a player they haven't signed yet, could or it could be Pro Bowl. Could be James Ferentz. Uh No. <laughs> Why not? Because yeah. he stinks. He's undersized. He stinks. He did fine in the game they had to start last year. I, I'm – Okay, so he did fine in one game. And <laughs> Kyle Duggar was great in the Senior Bowl. You willing to say Kyle Duggar is going to be a superstar in the NFL and better than Delpit and McKinney and all those guys? Not yet. Okay. So, yeah, I would go Justin Heron or Heron, uh, guy not signed yet, Froholt in that order. And I don't know why I'm doing that order. I'm going to be honest with you. I just pulled it out of my bunghole. Um, another – just a quick note that I brought up on Mac and Hot 
Uh, by the way, those podcasters, in case you don't know, that's my Saturday show with my uh, pal Mark James, 9 to 1 on WEEI, also available on podcasts. So uh, it's a very entertaining, we call it the fastest four hours in radio. And even though my cohort is a bigger a-hole than I am, for whatever reason, it seems to work. Uh, that being said, the thing I talked about with Duggar, like everybody says, oh, you know, he dominated, he, he was the Cliff Harris defensive player of the year, blah, blah, blah. And Delpit gets knocked down because he missed some tackles. You think Duggar would have missed some tackles if he played in the SEC? Absolutely. You think Delpit would have dominated if he had played at freaking Lenore oh, Ryan? I, yes. He probably would have played both ways, rushed for a thousand yards. And like, so I just, I, I'm not, people accused me and, and Mark of being like anti-Duggar. Like, oh, why are you rooting against the kid? It seems like a good, it's a great story. But he's 24 years old. He played at Lenore Ryan. By the time I expect him to play, he's going to be like 25 or 26, which most NFL safeties are going for their second contract at that point, and they're, they're already pro bowlers. So I just think circumstantially there's a lot of reasons to question your number one overall pick or your top pick, not number so, one. Not, things other mentions to sort of criticize, he's had two injuries. How do you know that's going to transfer over to the NFL with competing against bigger players, right. faster game? Getting and hit then, more. And then also he wasn't a team captain which he's the best player in Division Two. Why isn't he your captain? Um, yeah, that was interesting. I don't, I don't really – and that's funny because I do think some of – haven't talked to anybody there. So I, I would hesitate. You know, whatever they'll tell me, I'd believe them. But he emphasized how Division Two made him in that it's not a program producing NFL players, so anything he wanted he had to do on his own. I almost wonder if he was sort of a loner there, like – no, I'm going to go to the NFL. So you guys do your stuff. Like, I'm going to do my own workout. Right. And I wonder if there's some of that. I, I, I have no idea. Uh, you know, it's pure speculation because he's a great athlete. As the defensive player of the year, you would assume the automatic captain. I don't know. Um, but I just want to emphasize, I'm not rooting against him in any way. I think I'm actually intrigued by the athleticism. And I think it's going to be another great Patriot story if it works out for him. Because, you know, Lenore Ryan, it's like Ben Coates, wherever the hell he came from, Livingston College or right. whatever that place was. Like, it's Kent State for, for Julian Edelman. It's fun when guys come from other places. It's part of their story. Um, you know, or a guy played lacrosse. Like, you know, we get so used to just, okay, draft the best guy out of Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, which, by the way, is pretty much what every team in the NFL did this year um, in this weird draft, this weird offseason. But it's fun when the, the lower-level guys do succeed. But I think what people are missing – there's people like him in every draft, tons of them. Division two, division three, one double A. This guy, he was the Walter Payton winner, the this, the that, all of it. Most of them wash out. Most of them aren't a success. You remember the successes because they're successes. You remember London Fletcher who played with Nick Casario or whatever. But you don't remember the 10 other guys that, you know, Cash, uh, what's his last name? Maula? Maulia? Yeah, Mali, uh, Cash, uh, Maluia. I like the first name, Cash with two S's. Cash with two S's. Well, also, th that guy, I think Bill was heavily recruiting Logan Wilson, the number yep. one linebacker at Wyoming. He's like, eh, this guy can kind of play too, so I guess I'll get him. Just take the other guy out of Wyoming now, um, right. which happens all the – like I, another one of my reactions I wrote about, like that happens a lot, especially in high school football when they're recruiting. Right. You go to see the star, and then you're like, wait a minute. This guy, guy can, can really play. play. Yeah. So um, – but, yeah, I – I don't really think much of that pick. I think the best of that pick to me is a special teamer is that right. he comes right. in and competes on special teams and 
you know, is a backup third string middle linebacker or something like that. Um, what were we saying? I was going to move on to a new topic. Uh, oh, okay. The, the draft as a whole, I thought, was very, very successful. I thought that there was a lot – some GMs had some questions going in, how the virtual draft would go, the communication would go, all that. You know, I think Roger Goodell said – or some, somebody in the NFL involved in drafts said it went flawlessly. I think that it did. There was no stopping of the clock. There was no from – from a run – from a standpoint of the teams running the drafts and picking who they want to pick, making trades, there were no issues. Maybe you could obviously criticize Goodell for the way that he, you know, announced some of the picks and his enthusiasm and this and that. But overall, I thought it was a very good draft. And I think there'll be some elements of this taken to future drafts that I think that you could see a lot more times of players staying at home with their families as opposed to going to the physical location for the draft. Uh, yeah, I like that. Now, I will say, if you keep the players at home – that sort of cuts down on the reason for fans to go and watch, right? Like it takes a chunk of the show away if you don't actually watch Joe Burrow walk across the stage. Or you don't sure, so have the top five or ten picks go. Right. Um, but I'd be all for, quite honestly, just doing this over again. Scrap your whole traveling carnival festival thing. They won't because it makes money and a half a million people go or whatever the numbers are. Um, but I liked this. It was fun. Now, the more you did it, probably the more – it's like when they had the Super Bowl in Indy and it was nice all week. If you do the Super Bowl in Indy every year, you're going to get some crappy Super Bowl weeks. If you do this every year, there's probably going to be times where you do have technological issues, Wi-Fi, whatever. Well, I'm but not saying have the whole drafty virtual, just the players. Because you're not going to – like Bill Belichick and uh, Nick Casario and Ernie Adams are going to agree to let's work – like they're going to be at Gillette Stadium. Right. But, I mean, this is a little bit symbolic of probably the country as a whole – as people realize, yeah, I can work from home or that guy yeah, can work. So these GMs, Bob Quinn said, I've realized that I can do a lot more work at home and I could change, this can change the way that I do things in the spring. I think a lot of that's true. Well, I could tell you firsthand that's true. I worked for Patriots.com for 18 years or whatever, where we were required to be in the office every day, Monday to five, Monday to Friday, nine to five office hours. It, I'm more productive at home because A, you add my commuting time to my work day. Right. I don't have to worry about commuting. B, I can get up on my schedule and bang out. Like I get up at six usually and work for two or three hours, bang stuff out before I would have ever arrived at Gillette Stadium. In my, I didn't have to shower. I got my shorts on. Right. Like I, I think a lot of people in a lot of jobs can be a lot more productive at home. Now, are there times when you need to go in? Yes. You and I do podcasts. We go in or I go do radio. Yeah, there's portions of the job. But I think Nick Casario can study film at home, yep. right? And then when they have their staff meetings, yep, all the scouts, yeah, okay, so for a week, we're all in the office, and we're banging out meetings, but, and would it be more productive? I believe so. I think you would, and that, that phrase gets thrown out, work-life balance, and how about just happiness, or decompressing, or maybe some talented guys wouldn't wash out. There's probably scouts out there, coaches out there, that if you gave them a little bit more freedom and liberty are willing to commit. How many times have we heard ex-players say, I'd love to coach, but I'm, I'm not working 20 hours a day right. for, well, maybe this offers some of those guys who could be elite coaches into the ranks, right? Right. Better football minds, passionate football minds who, you know, a Teddy Bruschi, maybe he'd be willing to do it on a different type of schedule. And, and to be fair, you're probably still going to work a crap load of hours during the fall. Well, but, that's the thing, exactly. But your your off season is more of an off season where you can you can stay at home and hop on a, an hour Zoom call 
as opposed to driving an hour to the stadium and an hour back that takes up, you know, three hours of your day when it could really just take one. Right. And then, you know, you just sort of spitballing schedules, maybe you're beholden to your home office on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Like, yep. listen, be around because we might do meetings, we might do call, whatever. Tuesday, Thursday, get your work done. But if you want to get up early and go to the beach for four hours with your family and then do work in the do it on your old, just make sure your reports are done, make sure, whatever. Or, or say we're going to meet at Gillette this week, do whatever you want beforehand, just make sure all your work's done when we sit down. And yes, right. that takes more trust, but it's probably going to lead to better work, better work-life balance. And just like you said before, you get a lot more work done now that you're not holding to that nine to five schedule. And I think a lot of people are starting to find that out too. Right. And I think people are happier. I think you could get more loyal employees. I think also just for the, the coaches and scouts, maybe they realize they don't need to travel every freaking day in March to go visit these players at these random pro days. Why don't you just go to a virtual meeting? Right. Because I will say, like when I did that feature a few years ago where I went on the road with Nick and Dante and saw them do a workout, the on-field workout part was useless. Not useless, but it is what it is. It's right. not more valuable than the game footage and all that. You see the testing at the combine, that. So you're really talking about the the whiteboard, the virtual meetings, and a lot of that they can do via Zoom or WebEx or FaceTime. So I do. I think there's I think there's a chance that there is lasting effects from this offseason that positively affect scouts, coaches, teams. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting this year, um, and who knows how their drafts turn out or if they come. Remember the whole thing at the combine was Rams, Broncos, all the teams yeah. that weren't going. Yep. So, like, did they feel – because they didn't know at the time that this was coming and they wouldn't right, be pro right. date. You know, were they caught, you know, off guard, left behind? Did they not have any effects at all? Did they feel like they were fine with just the videotapes and everything? Right. Sort of another layer here because Bill talked about how important well, – Yeah, look at the Patriots, the flip side, that they benefited by missing out on the going to the playoffs and they were actually at the Senior Bowl. At the Senior Bowl, at the Combine, because they've skipped the Combine in past years. And he emphasized – how much they got out of combine and senior bowl this year, especially with everything that was coming after that. So maybe in a year or two, retrospectively, they can look back and see how this went. But I do think in general, and then from a fan's perspective, it gave you a new view on certain, like the little, like we've talked about, you know, we floated the idea to our national website of ranking the 64 homes of the coaches and the GMs because you got a little snapshot at what they you know Nike the dog became a star on Nantucket for Bill Belichick like I think they like that now I think the league pumped that I think the league wanted kids in the room there was a memo sent when you're coming up please have your kids in the room and I can tell you one person who didn't want to be there is Bob Quinn's daughter because every time she was on camera she like looked miserable and wanted to be somewhere else I don't know about all of them sure some of them thought it was really uh B Flo's son was. I was gonna say that was. I think that was genuine too. Like I think he really liked having his kids there. I think right. some other coaches were kind of like, eh, like get away from me. But right. I, I do think that shows that some coaches and GMs can embrace the family aspect and really did enjoy it. Like, hey, this is what dad does when he drafts players on draft weekend. And not that you ever. I mean, we talk so often about like Major League Baseball does a terrible job marketing their players. In a way, this is marketing your coaches and your GMs and making them a little bit more faces of franchises like Cliff Kingsbury. Right. Everybody ate it up when he's laying on the couch with his feet up on everything's white and the back, like that whole. And then the flip side is like Mike Zimmer with like trophy animals on the wall. And like 
you've now added a, another layer of personality and image and brand to your coaches and your GMs. And I don't think there's a downside to that. I don't think no. that's a bad thing. Um, so I, I think the whole thing was fun. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't really didn't see a downside other than the commissioner sucked, but he's never going to remove himself from the process. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, so it was good. Any other uh, lingering thoughts you have? Uh, lingering thoughts. Not really. Not in love with the draft class. Probably not as down on it as most people think. We went over the rookie free agents. Um, I will say the, the interesting thing um, that Bill's mentioned post in, on his WebEx, which I wrote this, I've never heard of WebEx until I was on a WebEx, um, was that he was surprised at how well the WebExes are going with players. They started their virtual and he said more was getting done. I find that hard to believe. I'm sorry. I did, I did too. And yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I just, I'm envisioning. Well, some unless, of these... unless he had like absolutely zero expectations and he's getting a little bit out of it. Or maybe the only, like, maybe he only took part in some of them and it was like um, Hightower and, and uh, McCordy or something. And right. I'm sorry. You're not, you're telling me there's not guys that are like looking down at their phone, playing a video game or like right. Fortnite in the background while they're right. off. Like, um, but you know, I'll take him at his word and if they can be productive, maybe that's another area that changes some things along the way and gives opportunity, like a, you know, a rookie quarterback, maybe you don't have to arrive quite as early. I don't know. Maybe there's just something there, but I thought it was interesting that he was praising how those WebExes were going because now, I mean, that's what, I don't know if they're doing it today. It's the Monday after the draft. That's where, you know, Jamar Smith, the undrafted quarterback yeah. is going. He said, what did Bill say? That they're going to have a rookie mini camp like via WebEx. Yep. So they're, they're going to try to proceed as normally as possible. And I also, he referenced how when they get to like on-field stuff, they're going to do like, yeah. are they going to go outside and like set up their iPad to show that they're running sprints or like? Yeah, I don't know how that's all going to go, but I'll take it from Bill's word. They're going uh, well. Yeah, I, I'll take it at his word. I just, I'm intrigued. And now I'm waiting. You know how you see those movies where, um, like, the criminals, they somehow hack into the security camera and put it on a loop so people nobody can see them in there? Yeah. I, some player is going to figure out how to put it on a loop so it looks like he's running his sprints where he's really sitting and having a he's beer. Or a couple of beers, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm all of this is funny to me, but, hey, it's all we got in sports right now. This and the last dance, so. Yes. Uh, what Are, are we going to podcast again this week? Um, I would say there's a chance later in the week. Yeah. Right. We might have some new information. We, right. I'm sure something will come out. Maybe they'll sign a couple people. We didn't really touch on. We can touch on maybe Marquise Lee a little bit more yeah. and some Joe of that Joe later in the Lee. week. Yeah. There's some stuff we can hit on. Yeah. Cam Newton. Wiggy sure. thinks Cam Newton could be a Patriot. So that's breaking news on WEEI.com. We could talk to him. Um, blowing up, by the way. Blowing up. Good. As long as we continue to get clicks in this uh, sports free world, I'm happy. And we haven't really had to do any. Uh, uh, or not that much prostituting of ourselves to get clicks. Yes. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. This is a good breakdown, I thought. Uh, we'll talk to you probably later in the week. Peace out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.